Hello, everybody. We're here with the next episode of the Tokyo Fintech Podcast. And today, our guest is Mohamed Rushdie. Mohamed is the CIO of Dubai Asset Management and the founder of Fintech Bazaar. Welcome, Mohamed. Thanks a lot for inviting me. It's a privilege and an honor to be part of your podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time. You're one of the most recognized faces in technology in the Arabian world, I would say. You're a frequent speaker at conferences and you've just been recognized by CXO Insights as one of the leaders, digital leaders in the Middle East. Congratulations to that. Thanks a lot. Very much appreciated. And so previously, you've also been CIO of the year, I think. So what does such an honor mean for you being recognized in, in such a public forum? You know, this is, it's really a great opportunity for me and it's inspired me much more to, uh, and encourage me as well to, to drive more and more into innovation and, and technology and to look for more solutions, you know, uh, for our day-to-day issues, uh, being a consumer, be a, a digital person. And, and as well, you know, it tells me that the effort I put with me and my colleagues uh, last uh, one or two years in innovation uh, it, it really was recognized by the community it's encouragement and it is an inspiration for me and for everybody really which he really uh, put his hand and he tried to, to innovate try to do something different as I told my colleagues and uh, all the time let us to do something different we shouldn't be do everything as, as we do every day like before today is an era for entrepreneurship today an era for uh, innovation or uh, disruption and we should be part of this one and should drive it and I think this award it helps me and my colleagues as well being recognized and do more more and more, inshallah, in the future. So in, in your role at Dubai Asset Management, what are the in innovation initiatives that you're focused on currently? Yeah, you know, recently we, we what we have done, you know, like we tried to do a digital platform. Uh, Dubai Asset Management, we are an asset, uh, one of the biggest asset management companies here in UAE and in Dubai. We have a real estate asset management property as well. And we, we built a platform really for uh, for uh, our customers and platform from start till end. But uh, a very interesting innovation we have done recently is using something called UAE Pass. UAE Pass is a digital signature in UAE where you can sign your contracts, any contract between you and your customer, you can sign digitally without any paper. And this one is recognized in UAE. Mm -hmm. And we were the first company really to sign our contract, lease contract using UAE Pass. And I believe, you know, this was a journey. When I started it, it, it we started working with a smart way on this initiative. And we we're the only, uh, the first company to do this signing or the using the protocol. And even some people ask me, why you are doing it for it now? It's still nobody is using you know like i said yes because we have to be first means i guess that I, I because i believe that if you want to go digital you cannot go digital halfway you know we have to go digital full way which means i cannot do everything but still i have to sign my contract by paper i need to get something which you recognize and then by the government by everyone secured and trusted and that's why i went for what we call a ue best uh, digital signature and now we are able to sign in your mobile you can do all your activities and this is very interesting nowadays because see was this uh, covid 19 we asked our people, our customer, don't come to the office. You can today do everything on the mobile. And this is really great. I said, you know, it came in the right time. Right. You can sign digitally, you can pay digitally, and everything is digital. So, you know, why you have to come to the office? You are at home, we are at home. And then that's helping us, our customer today. And we're very proud that we are the first company in UAE which is using UAE Pass for sign, digital, digital signing. That's amazing. And so is there an ID attached to that as well? A government-issued ID or how does it... Yes, yes. Government 
has here what you call uh, Emirates ID. This is the initial one. But Emirates ID, to, to be able to, to bring Emirates ID into a mobile signing, they create the UA Pass protocol. We have one for authentication, just you can authenticate you. You can look in now today if you go in Sharin UE here. You want to sign into uh, water and electricity company called Diwa or Etsat or other the government companies or the major telecom. You can sign by this UA Pass and recognize you. You can see all your accounts and everything because link it also to your Emirates ID. In the other, the second level is, is signing and authentication, not authentication here, the signing. So you are able to sign a contract. So the signing one is the second level. So went for the second level where you have this app in your mobile, you are able because we, we do an integration. So it will take you to the UA pass. You sign on by your user ID and password. And there's some kiosk actually in the in the malls and everywhere you can for onboarding. You have to onboard only once. And even we took one kiosk in our company so we can help our customers at the same time to be onboard. In such a case, you are able to sign any contract. The very nice thing here as well, if you want to sign a paper, like I'm going to send you uh, to Norbert, I send you a letter now. And this letter you would like to know, is it me signing or not? It's very nice here. I can go in the same the app. There is an app on the mobile app. And then what we'll do here, you go to the app, you open it, and it tell you you want to sign a contract, a paper. You said yes. It goes to in your mobile, you know, documents. Choose the, any PDF document. You take it and you put the place where you want to sign. It takes the same signature of the Emirates ID, the, 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 the UE ID, and place it in the same document. And then it gives the information that this sign at this time by this person by UE pass. So now this is really, really, I would say, you know, it's very innovative. Uh, the team here from Smart Dubai and others, they went into other countries. We were discussing with them during the journey in the beginning. They went to Europe, they went to Singapore, they went to many other um, countries worldwide. They have seen all the protocols and they came with this one now and this became, you know, becomes the protocol for signing any documents in UE. And we're very proud to be the first one to sign today the contract. And I said, anybody need to renew a contract, to sign a contract today, he can sign it from home in his mobile. So it doesn't need to visit the office. In Japan, we're still very paper-based. So I think that would be a very good solution to, to import here as well. No, it is great, really. You should see. I mean, we can even have a session on that one and it's very beautiful, actually. To continue along those lines, what's the cashless payment situation in the Emirates? See, still, you know, like the cash payment situation is, is growing, I would say. But still, we have a big cash-based society in the whole in the whole region, you know. But the move to cashless is very much empowered by all the companies, by everybody. And I believe it is coming to, you know, like there is some good uh, progress in this area, but still the whole country, cash uh, cash is still there. Pay when you, you, you receive the goods, you know, pay when you receive the goods is still there. But I think it's growing. Now from a credit card point of view, everybody has a credit card, you know, other wallets is growing. We don't have many wallets like the, the West or the other countries like Japan or like others. We have few wallets now in the, in the country here. There are other countries, you have more wallets. So, but it's growing, I would say. The typical split that you see between the young people is more adoption on the young side and the... That is true. That, that is true. That, that it's more adoption in the, in the young and people which is like, you know, millennial, millennial and, and so on. Millennium, they have this one. And then other people which is technology, more technology savvy like me, like others also try to do the same. So you can see there is a shift really to way, going for this one. The good thing here, it happened during this COVID-19, where is the central bank now and the banks start talking about the charges a percentage, which I saw some article recently uh, with one of my colleagues uh, in the industry about the payment. The central bank is bringing also the fees down and uh, asking the bank to bring the fees down for the online channels. So this also will help people to go and enroll. Because some people said, okay, I pay this, even for our business, said, okay, I pay this uh, percentage, 1.5, 1.35, and this is the revenues going, you know. So people start looking at this now to make sure also it's a win-win. And when the, the fees are down, then we are able to use the, the channels more. And this is, I think, everybody's pushing for 
digital channels and the regulation also is helping. Got it. And Dubai Asset Management focus is institutional and, and high net worth individuals or is also... No, like no, we, we are a real estate. We are, in the, we are in the real estate area and the individual and corporate real estate. It's a leasing real estate. It's asset management from a real estate point of view. I've been in banking for more than 25 years. Last two years was asset management, but from a real estate broke tech, you can say. All right. So I mix between both. So, so like, yeah, I was saying I've been working in different worlds. You've done fintech startups before as well. Yes, yes. Like, I will tell you, i done a startups, like, it's interesting. i done four banking startups, which is just like, I got very inspired to, to talk about being a main catalyst in one of the four banking startups in, in the region. And when you talk about a bank startup, we never see before thought about a bank to be startup from before, because we have all banks 100 years back. But 2007 and 2008, a wave here of many banking startups. So many Islamic banking, Sharia compliant banking startups. So I was very lucky to be one of the, the first one I have done. I was the first employee with the chairman. I was the CIO and the chairman. And I said, we need to set up the bank. And you know, the IT, they told which is right, that IT does take time. So if you want to use start with technology, then I went there and we started the bank. So in less than six months, you imagine you have a bank, you have all systems implemented, you have four branches up and running, you have debit card, you have credit card, you have all the products in less than six months. While you are building the bank, building products, building systems, and bringing people as well on, the, on board. So all of these you have to do in a very, very short time. And I remember I had this uh, presentation. This was the first bank I, I done as a startup here in, in UAE. And uh, I have a, I, the title of my presentation was one of the Miftik in, in Bahrain at this time, 2009. And I still, I remember the title of the presentation said, okay, the war room achieving the near to impossible, which I would say is true because, you know, we had a war room every day morning because a startup, we have a date to launch, you know, we cannot miss the date actually. And then we have to like two months before the launch date, we have a war room morning time with the CEO with all the management team, myself and the BMO head to tell them about what we are doing, what we have done for the whole program for the bank. Of course, technology was the main part here. And then we took two months before to have this war room. And I said, okay, achieving the, the near to impossible because you want to beat the bank in this very short time with people, with products. And really as a, the interesting thing at this time went with very innovative products as well. It was not like a normal thing. We were the first bank at this time said, okay, you can choose your own account number. Nobody done it before. When you come, but people who done it a seven digit number. So people choose their mobile number. After you don't have to come and said, okay, I give you a number, a number, a number you know, whatever number. I said, no, you can choose your own number. And everybody was for his own mobile number. We can even at this time, we were the first bank to give a debit card when you are in the spot and a checkbook. Nobody at this time has this instant checkbook and credit card. It was 2008. So I think innovation and doing great thing, a different thing is very, very important for me as an individual and as a technology professional as well. And then uh, later on, I done the four startup for banking startups. Of course, this is different from being a startup in fintech, but it's a learning curve as well. You have to be agile. You have to change your idea quick. You have to make sure that your idea are really acceptable in the market. And you shouldn't be like fall in love with them very much with your initial idea because you have to tweak it fast. You have to check the market. You have to get the response and so on. So I believe that's why I became passionate about startups, about fintechs. I do help colleagues uh, here in the region in their journey today. I mean, some of them are doing some very interesting startups. I could say challenger banks coming in the region soon and helping people to try to come to the market as soon as possible from a fintech and from a startup point. If you look at the market now with the new banks, primarily in, in Europe, maybe, and they all use a new core banking software, right? So when you, when you say now I want to build a bank in six months time, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's certainly very possible. But 12 years ago, doing it in that time is amazing achievement. True. Today, you have many other, you know, ideas, but the bank is not the bank which we used to think 
about before. The bank is a fintech company today. I said, it's not like you want a bank, go and bank, say retail, corporate investment, you have all the, no, 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 you can have a product and you start from this product and they start to grow and grow and growing and becoming you know, a full bank later on. So the ideas become different today. I agree with you. Putting a core banking like before is a different story, totally different story. But today I think with fintechs, with innovation, with people come with different ideas, I believe now today we are in a much better position to really come with, with great ideas, with to have banking, with a simple banking, frictionless banking. You know, all of this, what will people need today? I, don't, I need a banking on a mobile. I tell people, okay, mobile is a banking. Your bank is in your mobile. It's in your hand. It's not in a branch. You don't have to visit a branch or talk to somebody. Everything is your mobile. Today's a mobile is a bank. And I said, I have to thank Steve Jobs because I was having a presentation recently. And I said, really, part of the what we are in today, I said, this iPhone. People said, why iPhone? I said, because the first idea of a smartphone was iPhone. And because iPhone came, then we becoming having this idea that I can do everything on, on, on a phone. You know, the, the screen, touch screen and all this was not there before. And I said, this is the, the, the iPhone moment, I, I used to call it. So from a Middle Eastern perspective, do you see the future competition in banking still being other financial service companies or other other players also getting into this market, whether that's telecoms or whatever, construction companies even, whoever it might might be. What's the competitive landscape going to be? That is true. You know what's happening now in the market? That what we what is going on is like all the telecom are entering into the field today. The biggest telecom operator here in the country, they're having their own wallet a few months back. And other people, they're doing their wallet as well. The wallet is a start. You know, you start with the wallet and after the wallet, you go for financing. And since the central bank gives them the go ahead, then you start building around this one. So now it's true. It's not like it's not only banks anymore. Yes, even yes, here were more um, main regulation is helping the banks here more like other places in the West. But no, it's coming. So now since this telecom started, they are starting, you know, like to build their own wallets and their own banking, banking products. Two, some big, big conglomerate companies here or groups, they think about the same. Because if I have a million customer dealing with me in real estate, dealing with me and, uh, you know, consumers and uh, supermarkets and fashion, whatever, then this customer base, I can do them finance as well. There are many different finances, you know, pay, uh, you know, buy and pay later, you know, uh, you know, this is the concept become very much there in the market today. We will not call them a bank, but they are financing the customer today. So now the idea of being a bank because I'm uh, getting a central bank licensing, it will be a little bit, you know, it will change a little bit, you know, over the time. And then people will see the good financing in different ways. And I can see lots of wallets today, pay, buy and pay later. Okay, it's a financing and financing people goods and SMEs and so on. So I think that the equation is changing. Banks as well as uh, responding to the same. So now we can see banking, you know, the collaboration between banking and fintechs become a reality today. Before it was like a zero-sum game. It's not at all. Everyone needs the other. These people come with an innovative idea. The other people come with, with, a, with a very good back end and customer base and end. So I think this collaboration is going on and happening and should be win-win at the end of the day. And uh, what I admire today, even some of the big banks here in the region, they didn't wait for the open banking to come. They went, they create the, the, the API layer and then they invited, uh, you know, the, the fintechs to come and said, okay, if you have an idea, come and try it with us. So they are, it's a very smart move as well. I don't have to wait the regulation ask me to open up. No, I can just go and open up by myself. So I think this is even very smart move from some of the banks. You create your own sandbox for a startup. You see, in, in all the other markets, you've got a bit the banks originally hesitating opening up their systems because they're fearful of the competition. And here it seems True. to be really healthy cooperation, cooperation type of arrangement. In terms of open banking, do you have any standardization efforts or similar issues like in, in Europe or also in Japan where, I mean, you can specify technically an API, but then the semantics of what a certain field means and so on can also be very different. And so 
So even if you have a standard API definition, the usage is still different and, and creates challenges for the fintechs. No, here, uh, honestly, there is no standard yet, but people expecting the standard will come after a while. And most likely, if it comes, people expect as well to be something very similar to what happened in Europe. So, you know, like, and this is what's expected. That's why even people which is they start opening their own APIs, they create their own APIs, they, they put their own also um, policies or processes around how to utilize these APIs and ask people to use them. But till date, there is no standard, but I get to know or hear also there is some discussion about having something similar. There is also a very good move that there's going to be a fintech office in the central bank here in UE. And this is a good thing. You know, as soon as you have something like that, then, you know, the collaboration will happen. Because now I think in our market, we are very unique as well. Central bank is there. We have also something called the Fintech Hive, the International Financial Service Authority, the IFSA. They have Fintech Hive for, uh, you know, accelerate for fintechs and then Abu Dhabi Global Market which another offshore place for all the fintechs and all banks and so on and every one of them they are working in their, their regulation and they have their own regulation but the central bank as well is trying to have their own fintech office and I think this will help a lot to bring all this together under, under the same umbrella. How would you describe the fintech ecosystem in the Emirates and then in the Middle East overall? See, I would say it is it's very interesting the number of fintechs is quite maybe a good number is high but not maybe not obvious for everyone there is some good initiatives happening as i said like 10 or 11 companies are being graduated or whatever from uh, a fintech hive in dubai i think every six months or a year they have a good number some of these are really good doing well i could see there is some some news about them at the same time you have Dhabi global market they are doing some legal framework for crypto for crypto exchanges as well so this is another area as well, which is, and then you have in Bahrain, Bahrain Fintech Bay, and they have very willing regulation, which is, I really commend them because they work very close with the Central Bank of Bahrain. Then you have in Saudi, Saudi Fintech who came last year, but they came very strongly as well. But because a big market, this is the biggest market here in, in the GCC. And then they have, so you have this four, I would say, power center for Fintechs here in, in GCC. And this is really fueling to a big, big time, the Fintech ecosystem. Even I could see interesting, a few weeks back, one of the companies which they do in voice financing, Sharia financing, and they are doing the business. You know, when I ask the fund, they have only a sandbox license from Saudi Sama, from the Saudi Central Bank and Saudi Fintech. So it's great. They are giving a sandbox license and they are allowed to go to the market with some cab and so on. The same happening here. We have even Fintech or crowdfunding or real estate crowdfunding happening for leasing. We have others. We have also some robo-advisors in the market happening. So all of these are coming out of this Fintech ecosystem, which is really fueled by this four uh, fintech centers and I think this is what's helping the market. The only thing now I can say as well what people here maybe complain a little bit about it is the funding you know because of the market itself the market is not big compared to Europe or the states so of course you know like you can say like we have 50 million people or whatever uh, in the whole region here maybe one, one, one more country in Egypt for example 100 million Saudi said 3 million uh, here are 9 million there is 3 here there is 4 there so you can see that, that, that so now the funding it become an issue because most of the big VCs and so on they wanted to have a mess and it become you know maybe a challenging for people which is doing their startups to, to get the fund but I believe this is also there is some kind of support from the government and from some uh, VCs which is you can see this people come here they do a very good startup because they can scale it maybe they can set up very well here in UE for example but when they come scale they go to North Africa they go to other countries and they are able to scale so but the funding and it, it's one of the points which is people found it a bit difficult. The other resource that's required is obviously the skill-based education. <laughs> 
for technology, innovation, entrepreneurship? You know, I would say there is some of these people which is with great minds, they come here. What people do the following, they come with the idea here, they do the design here, but what you call the kitchen or the place where they can do the development either in India or in Egypt or in Jordan or one of these other countries. To have everybody support here and development and all the company here, sometimes it's more, more costly because of the cost of living. Most of them, you do the idea here because, you know, the regulation is well, it's well set here in, in UAE and some of the countries. The support from the government, from the ecosystem is there. But if you want to do the development and, uh, you know, the, the, the enhancement, this is what be happening offshore somewhere else. And I think this model is working fine here. Of course, to attract people from Europe and uh, others, yes, maybe the entrepreneurs, they came here because, you know, it's also, uh, it's not to, to be crowded as in Europe or other places. So, still here we are in the initial phase so people who capture the market here i think they have a good opportunity to capture in, in some segments as well. what is your advice for foreign fintechs that are looking at the region what needs to be watched out for what adjustments need to be made to be sharia compliant for example if you want to tap into that market it's very interesting sharia compliant uh, fintechs is something very high demand here in the region and it's still not tapped on very much especially i can tell you like if you look at some very interesting models for fintechs is crowdfunding or peer-to-peer financing, peer-to-peer lending. And this is very good for Sharia point of view. From a Sharia point of view, you should, or Islamic finance point of view, you should really be part of the process, not to be a passive investor only. You should be part and you should share profit and losses as well. You should be an active part in any kind of financing. So this is like some of the interesting maybe fintechs here, which is you do non-Sharia, you do Sharia as well. And now we are having some more Sharia maybe rule advisors coming because lots of areas which is Especially for our area here, people maybe because of expat, you have majority expats in the GCC countries, and most likely they don't have pension, they don't have this investment for future and so on. So this is very important areas, not only financing, you have to look at investment and saving schemes, a pension scheme for people. All of these also we go very well with Sharia, you know. The peer-to-peer financing, peer-to-peer lending, it goes very well with Sharia. And I think there was a study say 20-25% of the Muslim population here, they like to go for Sharia no matter what is, you know, good or bad, you know, like even despite the return because of the, you know, a religion point of view. Another 25% they said, okay, if you give me the same beer to beer like the others, then I will come with you. The other 50% they said, okay, I want really something superior, but it's very important for me too. So they have to also tap into this like from a customer service point of view, from a product point of view and so on. The only thing here, like people should very much examine their model and make sure that this model from a Sharia point of view is very, you know, suitable to the place here because there is some Sharia thought which can be different a little bit some a bit a little bit of difference between what's happening in malaysia what's happening in gcc and in uk sometimes so they have to adjust this one because the regulation from a sharia point of view some variation is there so if you have a product in, in malaysia most likely when you bring it in here to, to use it here in, in UAE or gcc you have to make sure that this is added the sharia you know like regulation here not a regulation actually ad- advice or guidelines i would say so this is very important so not every sharia compliant product which work in a country will work in another country because of this slight variation is there and people should know about it. The other thing is it should also be like as I say authentic Sharia compliant which means you have to give the return and, and tell people you know they are really trustworthy and they are bringing really a product not only a name because some people say okay I'm a Sharia compliant I'm Islamic finance and people when they go they said okay well, what is the difference I cannot see something which convinced me that you are doing it as bare you know Sharia or compliance so it's very important Sharia is not only a name it's a study they have to know how to sell and how to buy and it's like buying and selling actually if you go to Islamic finance 
is mainly you can sell something you are not owning. It's like buying and selling. It's trading at the end of the day. So you have to know very much, be acquainted and understanding what is the Sharia means and how can you bring it to the market and how can be authentic Sharia from a process point of view. In such a case, I believe the market is it's very uh, open for such kind of products. Uh, so is either here or North Africa, even Africa, there is a very good demand in Africa, which is a very big continent. So I believe the, the demand is there, but the only thing understand what Sharia is important. Is there a specific area or segment under Sharia law that's ripe for innovation? That we... I will tell you that the most important one I will tell you for Sharia and even for other is the SME financing. I can give you some statistic about the SME financing in uh, our countries here in case there's some studies here. In case if, for example, they have nine, 950k SMEs, 32% of all Saudi jobs are in SME. 46% of foreigners work in SMEs. 20% only of bank loans go to SMEs. You imagine in yeah. Saudi. If you go in UAE, it's around the 350k SMEs and 4% only of bank loans go to SMEs. In Egypt, you have 3 million SMEs. It's a big country. Only 60% only of bank loans go to SMEs. So you are talking about a big segment really here, which is, you know, it's untapped either for Sharia or for conviction. And this is where really the, the peer-to-peer financing, why I say peer-to-peer financing or lending, because also the profit rates is going very low here now for many reasons, many reasons. So people need to get some kind of income on their deposits. So why I don't, you know, finance a colleague or a company next to me or a coffee shop or a shop next to my house and then I got a good return and he got a good financing within a week, not uh, three, four months. So I think the peer-to-peer financing or crowdfunding is, is a very good um, product which is needed here. I could see the payment and wallets, it's very much crowded today. You know, I think lots of people working on it. I know there are payments, there is margins, there is something with it. You know, lots of people doing in payments. But if I work and if I look at peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding, there is few companies working here. And I think this is the area which is even as well will help the economy in a big time. You know, because if you help the SMEs, you help the economy, people get more jobs and then you also get more return. So I think this is the area which I believe it needs some kind of investors and entrepreneurs should be focusing on it much more than other areas. Sounds very interesting, especially if the banks are opening up the APIs as well on the SME side. You get access to the data for credit scoring and really advanced analytics do this with just a few people, right? That is true. And I think there is many ways today with, with being open very much. You have the social media, you have many other you know channels to know about SMEs, about where they are, their position, credit scoring as well. It's, it's, they are very much working with SMEs. You can get some data from banks, from telecoms about them, from many, there is many sources of information you can get. And I believe the company which is starting to SMEs for financing, things are doing very well. But the only thing people have to take to have the courage and have to move in because I think we have a small number of players in this area. I think that's globally the case probably, right? If you look at... That's true. That's true. It's globally the case. And unfortunately, this is where lots of development will help the whole economy, you know, worldwide. So in the end, many of the, the fintechs that we have today just give you a nicer user interface, maybe take out true. some friction, but it's not, as you, as you started off with your 2008 example, it's not a new product, a little more shiny, but it doesn't really give you anything That's new. That's right. This is what I told people as well, you know, like banking is you, the banking is you deposit and you finance. The middle payment and other thing, this is like ancillary, around. So you have to come with an innovative product in one, in one of these areas because this is where banking, either I, I receive money in my in my savings or, you know, I got money because I want to do a project and I, I want to grow. Or, you know, like do something more innovative, you know, like you have to come to the real the, the real needs of people. For example, here you have many expats in, in the region, but most of the expats don't have any pension abroad. There is no, because people here don't, don't get a pension because, they are, you know, they get something, what's called end of service benefits in their company for a few years and so on, but there is no pension, you know, nothing. 
nothing. Why you, you don't come with a product for pension for the people living here for few, 10 years, 15 years? It's something new, you know, why we don't think about this one? So there is many areas really where we have to come with innovation or new products where FinTech really can play a role. It's not only paying by card and it's, yes, if frictionless is there for payments, it's great to have, but so so what? After that, after payments, there is many other areas we need, we need to have to look at, not only payments. How many payments can you do per month, right? That is true. <laughs> and talk about your FinTech Bazaar a little bit. What's the vision for FinTech Bazaar? See, uh, as I told you, I, I wanted to do a crowdsourcing, initially a crowdsourcing, which can bring all the ecosystems partners here in the region. And this is focusing in MENA only because other places is big. So this is this this part need to have some kind of focus. And this can bring also investors and banks and fintech together. That's one. And this also can tell like what I'm telling you today, what is advice investors and entrepreneurs? What is the area you should focus on? So not only just saying what's happening, but we want to tell what should happen. So we can tell people, okay, this is the focus with come with some analysis. And how is the, you know, how is the development happening in the fintech area? in our market what is the market needs and where people have a focus so we need to come with some kind of insights or studies to show people how to do that then after that my idea later on is to learn something about peer-to-peer financing peer-to-peer lending for SMEs this is not there now but since this is something I see it, the market is needed so I believe this is something we need to go for and we need to try to push it so this is the areas I want to do from a world bazaar like to do some kind of to help the community and the market especially in places like Egypt North Africa it's, it's a big population there is lots of big market and so on SMEs are around 3 million and so on so so this is what I'm trying to do in, in FinTech Bazaar you talked about one of your startups worth talking about the others in a bit more detail as well you know one of the startups I have done it was the first Islamic bank in Oman and this is, was an interesting thought because see this is a different story when you are going for a country to set up a new bank and regulation is still not there and you have to educate to work also with, with regulators about your products about everything and you are doing everything and waiting for regulation to come up and it's also it's very important for entrepreneurs once you move from a country to another country because you can get a good idea or a good product from a country but when you take it to the other country you have to start reshaping this this product so when you went to for example to the new bank in Oman some of the product which is allowed here is not allowed there so you cannot move a customer from conventional bank into Islamic because there is a product called Tawarik was not allowed by central bank they wanted to keep the banking okay they don't, because you know that lots of people will be starting moving to Islamic banks and they don't like other banks to be affected it was wise from them as well to say okay some products will not allow it for the time being so you have to make sure really when you move from you know it's very good to have an idea but it doesn't mean the idea or the model will work in any country you go because work somewhere else though the same market they need it but they might need it in a different way that's why you went for this you know a very interesting startup or a bank of course a bank is not a startup a banking startup we have to look at our products but to make sure that the product is appealing to them to the market segment there and then we start working in working on it till we good you know and we're ready and we're just waiting for the central bank said okay here is the license you can go ahead now by this kind of guidelines and so this was very interesting because also you're trying to educate people about what is this type of banking it's it is something like you are introducing the product the first time in the market where you want to educate people you have to explain to people also the Islamic banking is not a charity people think it's a charity so it's not like you're doing yes for a good cause it's ethical finance but at the same time it's just you're making to make business the same way I went with one of my banks Al-Hilal Bank in Abu Dhabi here we had went to Kazakhstan to open our bank in Kazakhstan in 2009 and it was very interesting 
interesting really because we went to the Islamic Bank at all and went uh, we, we visited the central bank the CMA there the regulatory they were doing only at this time their own like uh, regulation and we got very interesting you know very also um, a nice question from people very humble question from people uh, some people thinking okay uh, uh, this is I do that in my life is it okay to open a bank account in this Islamic bank it doesn't have a relationship between what you do in your life and you open a bank it's not like you're going for a worship for example you know so it was very you know like you learn a lot as well when you move and you take your product from one one country and go to a different country you learn from a product point of view from people point of view and from uh, ecosystem point of view all of these from a startup you have to make sure that you really being put together mm. then you are able to make your startup running and successful in this place because it's done very well there it will be done very well here there is many aspects you have to take not only product people ecosystem partner perception as well all of these has to be taken into consideration that's why even i see some of the very interesting uh, fintechs in uh, islamic sharia fintechs in uk they call their fin like a name they don't call islamic fintech or whatever fintech because some perception are there with some people which is we, we cannot really we, we know there's some uh, perception about islamic islamic whatever but people have some maybe bad perception they don't understand it well so people they call them a name and say we are sharia we do it ethical finance which is right we get a good return there is transparency there you Know, we are making sure that you are part of the process. So all of these, so they are bringing the value more than the name. So that's why I want to talk about Sharia and so on. It's not a name. It's the value you are bringing. You know, the Sharia got you a very good values from a transparency, from honesty, from all of this has to be there in the product from Sharia point of view, some finance. It means you have to bring the value, not the name. I need the value, not the name. So that's why we have very interesting startups in UK for you know real estate startups in UK, fintechs. They are doing very well for real estate crowdfunding and and whatever and I think they're doing very well and you know like the, the value they are bringing and which is very important to tell every investor entrepreneur in fintechs that the value you bring is very very important and people should see this is very sustainable and it's just not a name because it's happened somewhere you're doing the same and I see some uh, even startups say okay we're done here the startup we're going to be the first one to open in USA it doesn't make sense fine you open anywhere this is not really a value for me the value which you bring to me here today but if you are said I'm an USA or a Europe company you come to me here it's great but what's the value you are bringing to me here today? in my market in my ecosystem and so on and mm-hmm. i believe this is one of the most important stuff people internet should think about as well not only trying to maximize your market become big market but the value still is not big and this is very risky you have to make sure that your existing customer base are getting the real value and the best one really can can make you grow is your customer base the first customer for you listening to your customer is very very important not the not the media not not the, you know putting lots of money in the media and so on it might not really helpful unless you have a value you are bringing a value to your customer at the end of the day the value can be in a friction list which is good but a product as well product it, it's essential today because copying a product everybody can copy a product giving something unique in your product is very important and it should be easier to sell an additional product to an existing customer rather than acquiring a new customer right? that is true and this new this existing customer will bring you much more more new customers since you are giving him the right product and this is how we really organic you can grow I think Saudi has announced that they going to do digital banking licenses as well is that right yes what my information is the following there is two digital banking license this is from the market only there is some two digital banking license our people are trying i met some of these investors and some of the discussion on the meetings they are working on having a digital license but it's not as if today is not really issued the only issued license in saudi is fintech or crowdfunding or peer-to-peer financing license from a sandbox which is like you know a temporary license has been guaranteed 
guaranteed and people are the, some companies are operating in the market by the sandbox as you call it or like temporary license but the digital bank license there is two group of investors which is I get to know from some resources only working in digital banking license but still till date is not guaranteed but they still they are working actually now in developing the banking like the, the bank they are developing the, the product and so on and I had met some of these investors till date is not really guaranteed so this is not happening as of now and I would say it's a fintech and it should be a, I would call it a fintech because the bank a digital bank is a fintech company yeah, we call it a bank but it's a fintech company how many products you allow you allow him wallet you allow a saving scheme you're allowing financing yeah, I think this is what's happening now but till date is not really issued as is, do you see that happening in other parts of the region as well no I would say if it happens UE and Saudi will be the first I mean Bahrain I think they are doing very well as well but it depends on what is the name of the license but I know there is a bank for example is it a bank in, in Abu Dhabi in ADGM in Abu Dhabi markets they have one bank for trade finance this is already there and operational so the bank which is like a digital bank and it's there but it's a trade finance you know from a trading and supply chain point of view this is already there They're very special so are we going to see a digital bank license from a bank point of view like have four five six products at, at the same time this is what we have to watch and see from peer-to-peer financing we have a company operating in the IFC uh, in UAE since a few years now and they are doing very good in the peer-to-peer financing and uh, Jordan they have another company now doing peer-to-peer financing as well so these two few, few, few companies are there from a financial point of view from a wallet and payments there is number of companies but from a bank saying a challenger bank something like a revolt or whatever there is no license as such as of today in GCC what in your view is the opportunity for fintech in terms of helping financial inclusion and getting more people into the financial system I think this is the focus which is happening in Africa and uh, in Egypt much more and there is some uh, interesting fintechs uh, happening uh, may- maybe in Egypt and other places in Africa for financial inclusion and this means either microfinance there is some uh, one of the fintechs in, in Egypt about microfinance maybe they can lend you around hundred dollar or less the same as I explained like uh, you know for financing by and, and pay later for small items uh, so I believe this is happening in, 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 in these countries very interesting model happening here in, in, in the region as well for uh, labors you know like the labor routes you have very uh, low uh, wages uh, salaries like $200 per month so these guys if they want to transfer money it's difficult to have a bank account for a six hour so there are some people they have the card and so on there's some uh, interesting company for few years operating now here and in Saudi where they allow these guys they do some deal with banks and then they created their own fintech platform well these guys will have an account there and then they be you know, a bridge between them and the bank and then they have a it become like a financial inclusion so but this one it's truly very important and it's happening in here and in Africa I believe much more especially big countries like Egypt mm-hmm. as you have few fintechs working in the financial inclusion and microfinancing so if you look out at the financial services industry very broadly right including all the other players that we talked about earlier when you look out to 2025 what do you see happening? Oh, I will see. I think 2025, you will do many of your financial needs or financial transactions will be online, digital, more than what we are doing today. I will be able to finance, I will be able to ask for financing or buy things online. And I believe financial inclusion, as you as you mentioned now, I think will have a very good number of people will be able to use their finance over the online because of the also penetration of the mobiles and the smartphones and so on. And this is what all the banks are trying to do now is going through 
through the digital channels. So I believe like the fintechs, I think we have like uh, how many billions last year? 39 billion, I believe. Uh, this was some of the studies. I think this will be maybe tripled or four or five times more. And bringing a blockchain in place was maybe by 2023, we'll have some more blockchain uh, projects. And this will help a lot in the financial inclusion and will also help, you know, the banks to have some kind of, people have some kind of trust and making sure that this security and so on. So I believe by 2025, lots of the products we are dealing with today it will be maybe some of them will, will change because today I don't need to buy a car I need to lease a car for example I told people they are still selling cars maybe later will not buy a car I will just lease a car why I buy a car some of these things you used to do today you might not do it in five years time much more today after this COVID-19 we're all working from home that means as well everything should do from home banks shouldn't come and ask anybody to say okay come come here because you have to I have to see your ID even the KYC now which we have very nice uh, very good I very good fintech platforms today do all your EQIC online I don't need really to show you my physical card because you know I have to come no it's not I think this is all has to go so once we have this EQIC EQIC and all of this happening I believe most of the transaction which we need to go to the, the bank today it will not be there by 2025 you, you called the end of the bank branch finally yeah I, I think it will be unless I need to go and something very 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 rare to go and really and I would say why I go to the branch I can talk online like what I'm talking today I think this what happened during this COVID-19 is bringing the same you know I can just talk to the bank branch today and I can get the ticket number the same way why I get a ticket number and sitting in the lobby of the bank let me get the ticket number I'm sitting home I'm doing my work as soon as the, the, my attorney come it give me a, a beep here and then I start talking to the to the bank customer service it can be at home as well by the way it shouldn't be in the office it can be somewhere at home so I think we are we are, we are coming to this even what happened in the world today I think it's going to bring another ecosystem you know for us how to to interact is that in banking or different from bank the bank branches really become coffee shops and and so I, I i think it should be it should be i think this is i think we are, we are moving towards this one coffee shop it can be in a cinema it can be in a mall it can be something something else that's like one of the big japanese banks they've centralized expertise in certain branches so whatever for getting a mortgage you only have the people in specific branches and so if you go to another branch then you will have a video call like this and so by extension you, you can really do this from home as well right and the, the that, 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 that's true i was in one of the banks and one of the big banks recently in a visit as well and then they have this kiosk as well and you can talk to the customer the service and we talked to him he was in another branch i said he can even home you know branch become a home now so you can be in home you can reply to people you can talk to them and i think this is where we are going i think we are reaching this after even this what happened here with the covid 19 i, I think this is brought to us or you know it proved to us that it can happen you know it's not like before said okay no i cannot i have to talk to you and i have to come to you no no now today you are at home for your safety you can do everything online so why you don't do it in normal life and you save the, the planet as well from driving and using cars plus the product gets better right because you get the access to the expert no matter where you are you're not geographically bound that is true that is true i can take you if i talk to someone who doesn't have the product knowledge you can transfer to someone else in a fraction you know i don't yeah. have to drive the car or go to another this the, the light the, the world after this COVID-19 will be different from the world before. And I think fintechs and all, all online uh, capabilities, or online initiatives, the, the, the focus will be different. The way we're using it will be different. Today we have Zoom, we have Teams, we have this one. I'm going to have much more in the future. As well. well, I think we had the first call for the end of the bank branch when the ATMs came out somewhere in the late 60s or so, right? It was when Barclays installed it in London. After 50 years, we finally reached the stage where... Reaching, yes. I used to say the same. Sometimes we uh, told people sometimes we said the 
bank branch will be finished soon. It would take maybe 15, 20 years to happen. Aspiration is there, the things are there, but how it, will it happen? How it will happen? This is the stick time. Even today, you have the, still the, even people said, okay, you have an ATM for crypto. I said, well, you have an ATM for crypto. Crypto, you don't need. <laughs> Just people would put, because a show, a show, you have to go and put some buttons and buy some crypto. So you don't need an ATM for crypto. This is mindset has to go. I don't need an ATM for crypto. Crypto is crypto, it's online. So I think also as a perception and mindset not to change. So you heard it here, the end of the bank branch. Mohammed called it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mohammed. Thanks a lot. Great conversation. Thank you. I, I really appreciated the, 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 the call very much and we're looking forward for more and uh, very much really appreciated. Taking the time and hope Thank to you. see you in person once this all blows over. Same here. Thanks a lot.